Hi, and welcome to the RCH Kids Health Info podcast, the podcast for parents about common child health concerns. I'm Dr Anthea Rhodes, paediatrician here at the RCH. I'll be your host today, and I'm joined by Dr Lexi Frydenberg. Thanks, Anne. With winter upon us, today we are talking about why young kids always seem to be sick, when they have a fever, when to worry, and particularly when not to worry. Today we're joined by Dr Mike Starr, paediatrician who works in our emergency department here at RCH and who also specialises in infectious diseases. Thanks for joining us, Mike. Thanks for having me. From the Royal Children's Hospital Melbourne, this is the Kids Health Info podcast. So let's just get straight into it. One of the most common things that parents ask us about is fever. And in particular, what exactly is a fever? Why it happens and what's going on for a child when that occurs? Well, you're right. It is a question I get a lot working in the emergency department and in, uh, in clinic. Fever is a high temperature and we, we actually have a definition for it and it's a temperature over 38. So anything over 38, we consider it to be a fever. And what's happening in the body to, to make a fever is that there are a number of cells that are, go into action in response to usually something like a virus or, a, or some other thing that's foreign to the body that make the body um, react in that way. So Mike, fever's a message that your body's trying to fight an infection. That, that's right. It, it's actually part of, it is, that's a really good way of putting it, Lexi, it's part of the fight against, against an infection. So some people um, even have shown that it's a positive part of the fight against an infection. So I was going to ask, a lot of parents are worried that fever is harmful to their child and might have long-term um, difficulties after having high fever. Is there any evidence for that? No, there's not. I mean, fever certainly can sometimes, a high fever can be associated sometimes with things like seizures, but on the whole, the fever doesn't cause any long-term problems. The way I see it is it's a signal that there's something going on in the body and it, it is, I think, part of the positive response to uh, an infection, but we need to work out what the infection is. That's the point. We need to work out what it is and what we need to do about it, and the fever just lets us know that there's an infection going on, for example. Right. And during COVID, a lot of parents have asked, um, they went to try and buy thermometers and, and they were sold out at pharmacies. And a lot of parents asked me, do I need to measure my child's temperature? How do I know if they've got a fever? Well, I, again, I get asked that question a lot. And I usually tell parents that, I mean, I've got three kids and they're now adults, but I didn't have a thermometer at home when they yeah, grew up. I. We talked yeah. about that as well. No, yeah. no thermometers in our house either. Yeah. So I think, and that's not to say I completely understand parents wanting to have a thermometer and know what the yes, temperature is. Yes. And particularly at the moment with COVID, everyone's you know very concerned about fever and it's one of the reasons to go and get tested. So I absolutely get that. But um there are a number of other things that I worry about more than the fever itself. The fever tells me there's something going on, but then it's how the child looks, whether they, yeah. you know, if, with my own kids, it was, you know, if they were pale or they were lethargic, um, they weren't responding normally, whether they were vomiting. Um, it's a number of things like that. And with a baby, whether they're floppy. Yeah. So it's really about the illness that's causing the fever rather than the that's fever right. itself. Yeah. So just back to thermometers for one tick. Yeah. If Families are looking to purchase thermometers or have one at home. Are there recommendations for children? So there's ones that go under the armpit, ones mm -hmm. in the ear, there's ones that go across the forehead and so on. And almost all of the men studied, and it depends on the quality of the thermometer, but yeah. all of them can reliably me measure the temperature. Even the forehead ones, there's been some concern about some of them, but mm -hmm. there are some that are accurate. So it's all about 
buying a decent one, I suppose, if you're going to buy one. I think that ones in the ear, or mm-hmm. oral is the medical name we use, an oral thermometer. Yeah. Um, that's probably the easiest to use and one of the most reliable around. But they have to, the, the ear bit has to go be, um, be able to get inside the ear. Properly. So it does not, they don't work in little babies and they're not really reliable in babies under between six and 12 months. Right. So okay. it's about having the right thermometer for your child's age and using it properly. Yeah. So there are some digital ones that you can put under the armpit or under the tongue or something like that, and they come with a little cover so you can yep. reuse them. That's the one that I think is probably the easiest and most reliable. All right. So another question now, what about treating a fever? So you talked about how if uh, the body's temperature goes up, there's a lot of things going on, the cells are um, active as part of that process of actually perhaps fighting a virus or whatever's causing that fever. So what happens when we treat it, try and bring the temperature down, for example, which we certainly hear lots of parents talking about? Is that a good thing? Does it make a difference? What would you recommend? Well, look, again, I, I completely understand parents wanting to bring down fever because of all the concern about it. But as I said before, you know, it's really important to point out it does not cause long-term mm-hmm. problems. Yes. So therefore, the fever being there is not in and of itself something to worry about yeah. as long as you know what's caused it. So more important from my point of view is treating the other symptoms. So I normally say to parents that if your child's got a fever of 40 degrees, but they're sitting there happily playing and they're still eating and drinking and so on, don't worry about it. As long as you know that they've got a virus and that's the reason for it. If they've got a temperature of 38.1, so just over the mark, Mm -hmm. but they're miserable and they're, you know, they really obviously seem to be in pain and they're achy or, you know, because maybe it still may well be a viral infection. They may have the flu and they may have really aching muscles, but they're feeling lousy. Mm. So treat that and treat that with something like paracetamol or ibuprofen, um, which are both medicines, which both, uh, they target the fever and also some of the inflammation response that's in the body. So they reduce some of the pain and the discomfort, which is really what it's about. One thing to, worth mentioning is some people say, oh, look, if it gets really high, is that a problem? Mm. No. The height mm. of the temperature is not associated with any anything bad. Yeah. It doesn't mean you're more likely to have something bad or that you're more mm. likely to have a bad outcome or a bad effect in the long term or anything like that. So, at, you know, if the temperature's 41 or 42, it's more likely to be a virus probably. Yeah. Certainly we've, I'm sure, all seen patients where the temperature's not that high, but in fact something really serious is going on. So, yeah, yeah it's not necessarily a good guide. That's right. But okay. I also think if the fever persists, that's also a reason for people to go and see their doctor or come to hospital. So if the fever lasts a few days then that would be our recommendation. Yeah, that's right. Look, it seems to me that the first thing is if a child's got a fever um, and they don't look too unwell, parents don't need to panic or anything, they may sit it out for a while saying, look, it's most likely going to be a virus, wait a day or two even before doing anything at all, mm-hmm. um, as long as they don't have any of those other things before, not eating and drinking enough, you know, they're not, yep. they shouldn't be vomiting and all that other stuff. And then if it's going on for beyond a couple of days and you don't really know why they've got the fever, that's the real question is why they've got the fever so it's worth going to a GP and having them checked out, work out what it is. And then if it's going for a longer period of time and starting to think, well, what's going on? Is there something else we've missed? And that's when I think you might need to go to the GP again or or be seen somewhere else like a hospital. And my last question about fever, Um, if you give your child paracetamol, uh, parents have asked me, does that stop the body's immune system fighting the infection? So can you actually do harm by giving the child paracetamol or ibuprofen? Well, look, there actually has been research that mm-hmm. shows that giving interfering with the fever mm. can make the illness last longer. Okay. So 
you know, but it really was by a very short amount. So um, my, my message to parents is still the same. Give paracetamol or ibuprofen if you think your child is feeling lousy. You don't want them yeah, being absolutely. miserable. Yeah. But don't worry about the temperature itself. And, right. But, yeah, it can actually make the illness, you're interfering with the, the response. Well, that makes infection. sense if we know that that's an inflammatory response that's actually doing a job for the body, that if we switch that off, maybe it's going to actually affect the way the body can work. Yeah, that's right. So another question, what about antibiotics? So we found in the RCH poll that around a quarter of parents thought if their child had a cold, they should be given antibiotics to prevent it becoming something more serious. What would you say to that? What's the role for antibiotics here? Well, the role for antibiotics is for treating bacterial infections. So different germs cause infections and it's bacterial germs that need to be treated with antibiotics. And most of the infections that young children, particularly preschool age children mm-hmm. with who go to childcare and mix with lots of people and, and um, get runny noses and sore throats and all that sort of stuff, most of them have viruses. Antibiotics won't be able to do anything for the virus. And the other thing is that there is really no evidence that by giving antibiotics, you can prevent a bacterial infection coming. There's no evidence whatsoever for giving, you know, antibiotics as a preventative thing. The next question we often get from parents is why, why, why this happens so often. So we all know, and I know I think about my own kids and through particularly those early preschool years, turn up to pick them up from childcare and, you know, they're all there with sort of dripping candle wax snot and (laughs) coughing and sneezing all over each other. Certainly not socially distancing, that's for sure. So... Mm. What is going on there with lots of little kids when they're together that makes them all get sick so often? Well, look, it is just about being close to one another and sharing um, the viruses. Secretions. That's right. (laughs) So secretions is a good medical word, but all that stuff that comes out of our nose, that's snot, as you said, and the droplets when, when kids cough and sneeze. And of course, and kids touch, you know, young kids will touch you know, wipe, everything. they touch everything, they <laughs> touch their nose when it's all snotty and then they touch the child next to them and they touch the toy and the other child touches the toy. Yeah. Now, I must say as an infectious disease specialist, I'm not too worried about that really. Yeah. That's going to happen in life. We all touch each other. We all have germs on us that are meant to be there and we share our germs with each other all the time. Um, in COVID, we in do the need non-COVID to, era. In COVID, we need to be a bit more careful about that and be physically, I always like to say it's physical distancing, not social distancing. Yeah. But, um, you know, with kids who have siblings or they go to childcare and they're all close with one another, they, they share those viruses with one another. And so does it mean anything about their immune system? So some parents, and I find this actually quite often when, when they might come with their kids, they say this, he's got to have a weak immune system. He's just been sick constantly or, you know, this is the fifth, sixth, seventh virus that he's had this year. And they're really worried about that. They think that it's not normal and there might be something more serious going on. Well... Uh, something that I find helpful to tell parents is that in kids, uh, um, you know, preschool age kids particularly, mm-hmm. the average number of infections they get in a year is six. And that's the average. That's the average. Yeah. So even if we just say the average, and most of them usually occur in like winter, mm-hmm. so that would yeah. be if there were six and it's just in the three months of winter, that's one every couple of weeks, right? Yeah. So 
Um, and then I think if they're in childcare or have older siblings, it's up to 12 a year. That's right. So every single month, your child Something seems else. to have a viral infection. And, and and because a lot of them actually are concentrated in, let's say, you know, yes. you know the middle months of the year, it probably feels like it's yeah. one there all the time. Parents come and say they haven't, they've had it for the last, you know, three months. Yes. Well, actually, it hasn't been the one infection. They've yeah. had one after the other, after the other. Multiple so, types of viruses. Yeah. So the major reason... Um, that kids are getting lots of infections or sick all the time is just because they're normal kids and they're in an environment where there are other normal kids yeah. as well. And That's is that the main reason. building their immune system? Well, look, in, yes, in a way it is. So that we do know also that kids who go to childcare in the first couple of years of life, they have all their infections early and yes. by the time they go to kinder and school... Yeah. They've got a, a number of what we call them antibodies. They're sort of these chemicals in our body that fight infection and they are in our body and they're there to protect us against the infections we've already had in, in the previous couple of years. You know, in the old days where there wasn't that much childcare and kids went to, to kinder at about the age of four yes. and then to school, yeah. they got their first illnesses at about the age of four or five usually yeah. and they were really sick for the first couple of years. And, yeah. you know, so it's just changed. It'll just happen at a different time and mm. that's not necessarily better or worse. It's just part of a normal journey. Yeah, that's right. And a lot of parents ask, is there anything they can do to prevent their child getting infections or recurrent infections? We read about, you know, super vitamins, um, immune boosters, garlic, vitamin D, um, zinc. Is there any evidence for any of these over-the-counter preps or any other measures to try and prevent your child getting recurrent infections? Well, it's actually, in a way, it's a complicated answer because there is actually evidence that almost all of those things you mentioned, Lexi, mm -hmm. um, have a role in infection. Mm, but yep. that doesn't mean that taking extra of them is going to prevent infection. Got so it. things yep. like zinc and iron and vitamin D and vitamin C have all got a role in infection and, and helping our body prevent infection. But if you've got a normal diet... And most of, most of the kids that we see as paediatricians in Melbourne, they have good diets mm -hmm. and they're getting enough vitamins and minerals and everything just by having their cereal and their vegetables and fruit. And yep. even if they're not the best fruit and vegetable eaters, they still have got adequate enough. levels of all of those things so that they, there's no benefit from taking extra supplements. There's probably no harm except for the cost because yes. sometimes they're pretty expensive. Yeah. Um, and trying to convince your child to take a tablet or a syrup mm. every single day yeah. can be quite a battle. Yeah. So Some of them are pretty pretty tasty these days yeah. and, and well marketed, which I think is, is important to talk about as well. Kids are happy to have gummies and chew on them. Yeah, I and think it's got a high sugar content and yes. they enjoy them. Um, and uh, I've certainly heard it described as just really a way of having ex very expensive wee because most of, <laughs> most of what's going in is actually not going to be absorbed or used yeah. in that child's body in any way. It's not going to harm them, as you say, for the vast majority of the time, but it's just going to be peed out the other end. I don't know if you guys did it, but it, when I was in first year medical school, that's one of the things yes. we did in the, as a prac. No. We had to, had to all take a whole lot of vitamin D and, then, and vitamin C, and then we measured it in our wee. Oh, and, um, I missed out on that virtually one. Virtually everything we took into our mouth came out in our wee. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. So really the bottom line, the take home is if your child has a reasonable diet and we're in Australia, then they shouldn't need any extra vitamins or anything extra to help build their immunity or boost their immunity. Exactly. Right. The other question we get asked a lot is, does delaying childcare entry or taking your kids out of childcare if they're getting recurrent infections help? And I think during the COVID um, 
experience, we've realised that, you know, good hand hygiene Mm. makes a difference for all types of infections. We're seeing a lot less in the hospital. Um, And a lot of parents for the first time say, oh my gosh, my child's not sick for the last three months. And I've been asked the question, should I keep them in the COVID bubble or the bubble at home for longer and delay childcare or stop childcare altogether? I often say to parents, look, it's not really an answer for a paediatrician to give. I can tell you, Mm. because you guys might, if you really rely on childcare, you've got to use it and and you're not putting your child at risk. I want to reassure you, not putting your child at risk, sending your child to childcare. They'll get infections probably more now than they will the next year and the year after, but they would have got them anyway. Yeah, and they'll learn to fight them. And there are a number of great things about childcare, let alone what, you know, for parents who need it. Um, you know, it gives the parents some time to do other things, gives the child some developmental mm-hmm. and social benefits. Yeah. So I would never tell parents they have to pull their kids out of childcare, mm-hmm. but it might be one of the things they consider if they can afford to do so and, you know, it alleviates their concerns, sure. Getting back to fever now, and we've talked a little bit about some of the things you might look out for when you do need to worry. So most of the time, this is going to be a viral illness. It's probably not going to be serious or sinister for the child, but it's not all of the time. And I guess what really worries parents is, you know, when do I have to be concerned that this is something else? What are the scary signs? Yeah. Yeah. So have you got some, I guess, rules of thumb or some red flags that you could give to parents to help them make that decision? I mean, parents know their children better than anyone. So I think the first thing I always would always say is if a parent is worried, you listen to your gut and do something about it. So And no concern is too small. Yeah. And that I mean and there are things you can like you can ring nurse on call or you can you can ring for some advice to to see whether you need to take it any further. Yeah. But some of the red flags as you say, Mm -hmm. and we use that we use that term in medicine all the time, don't we? That so the red flags would be being pale, mm-hmm. being floppy, as I said before, yep. or if for an old, that's a baby, an older child, sort of being a bit limp and not having much energy and mm-hmm. not waking up enough, yep. um, or actually being excessively irritable for a baby, they're crying heaps yes. um, and, and can't be settled. Um, they're all warning signs. Um, if the amount of fluid particularly, I mean, children don't, they can go several days without eating much, but if they don't yes. have enough fluid in, yeah. and usually if it's less than a half of what they normally have, that's a worry. So they get dehydrated and they have decreased wet nappies in the younger children? That's right. So the decreased wet nappies that go along with that. So mm-hmm. that's the other part of it. That's that's the infect. That's not nothing to do with the fever necessarily. Yes, no. That's the illness. But those are red flags. If a mm-hmm. child has fever and or feels hot and has those things, or in fact, even if they don't feel hot and they have those things, yes. parents get checked. get checked. And as you said before, Lexi, I think if it fever is going on for more than we often say for you know for a cup if it's going on for more than forty eight hours and there's no obvious reason for mm-hmm. it, yes, the child's perfectly well. And you think oh, it's just a cold. Mm-hmm. I guess that's fine. But if there's no obvious reason for it, it may be worth getting checked out or getting you know some advice from someone again ringing nurse on call or something to get some advice yeah and also a prolonged fever is something that we normally worry about in Mm -hmm. as doctors but that sometimes just means that it's a grumbling infection Mm -hmm. grumbling virus or that there's a second virus as we Mm -hmm. said before yes they come pretty quickly but it's worth getting checked to try and work out the difference there if there is a prolonged fever in babies less than three months is the recommendations about managing fever different yeah, well, babies are a different group because uh, they don't present with the same sort of signs, mm-hmm. that um, the same features uh, as older children. It's harder for parents to know what's going on with them. It's harder for us to know what's going on with them. So really, 
the message for parents with babies is that any baby under three months with a fever, so it's 38 degrees, as we said before, should have that baby seen mm-hmm. and get right. it, get advice. And I guess also because young babies, their immune system looks a little bit different to older children, doesn't it? They're not, they don't have the same level of protection yet, so they're, it's hard to know when they're sick and how sick they are, and they may actually be a bit more at risk of getting those serious infections in the first place. That's exactly right. And we, we do, and we, when we see babies who are young, we often do more tests and because we, we, we can't really tell by looking mm. at them always what's going on. So, so the babies are a different group. Yeah. Okay. Um, I was just thinking back to, you know, my own experience. It's notorious for doctors to leave their children really late to get help, particularly if they've got fever and not much else going on. And I think it was my three-year-old at the time, he was about day three of a fever and it wasn't until he became limp and was really just, you know, sitting on my knee and not moving that I realised, oh, gosh, I really hadn't thought about what's causing this fever. I think I rang you, Mike, and you said, (laughs) stop being a doctor, be a mother, bring him to hospital. So it's really important that if you're worried as a parent, you do go and get them checked out. So thanks for that advice. No one will ever, you know, we would never tell a parent off for... Um, bringing no. their child to have them seen if we, if they were worried about mm. them. And I think the other interesting thing in, in that story, Lexi, is that often on that first or second day, it's not so clear that mm-hmm. there's something serious going on. So you might go to the doctor and they might say to you, well, you know, this doesn't look too serious and it's likely to be a viral illness. But then another day or two later, things look quite different and it's clear that there's something serious going on. So rethinking and sort of re-evaluating Absolutely. what's happening today do I need doesn't to, always to do declare something itself straight away. Yeah, hmm. absolutely. Okay. And so we've talked a lot about fever today and when to worry or not to worry. What about at, at the moment in times of COVID? So is the picture any different? Do parents need to do things differently if their child has a fever at the moment? Well, yes, they do because certainly at the moment, fever is one of the things that might be a feature of COVID and therefore um, it, it's a trigger to having testing. But the situation is changing so quickly mm-hmm. yeah. that the best advice I think for parents is to check with their local health authorities yep. on at that time to decide what they need to do, which will probably be going be seen and have a test, but it depends at the time. Great. Well, I think that's all we've got time yeah. for today. We hope you've learned something listening to us chatting about fever and sickness in kids. Thank you so much for joining us, Mike, Thanks, and offering Mike. all Pleasure. your insights and advice, wisdom, as always. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening today. Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast. And if you're enjoying the podcast, we'd love you to leave us a review. You can find additional information about fever and viral illnesses in the Kids Health Info fact sheets. You'll find the link in our show notes. This episode was recorded in July 2020. Thanks for listening. Information provided in this podcast is general in nature and is intended to support, not replace, discussions with your doctor or healthcare professional. If you are concerned about your child, please consult your local healthcare professional for further advice.